Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to fitness expert Sal Stefano. Sal and his company, Mind Pump Media, have become a leading brand in the fitness industry dedicated to providing truthful fitness and health information. Sal is on a mission to shift the direction of the fitness industry from aesthetic and insecurity-based to one based in self-love and self-care. Sal's new book, The Resistance Training Revolution, continues in this philosophy, sharing how resistance training is the best exercise to burn fat, boost metabolism, and avoid injury and illness. If you don't know what resistance training is, don't worry. In this episode, Sal goes in-depth into all the different forms, and we dive into the effectiveness of resistance training. The best part is you only need to do it two to three times per week, and we also discuss one of my favorite topics, metabolism, and why it's so important to keep it in tip-top shape and how best to do that through fitness. Sal is the person you want to be taking fitness advice from. He has decades of experience and continues to provide evidence-backed information. And don't worry, if you're the new dad or mom that only has a few minutes a day to work out, Sal has you covered on what to do and how you can fit it in. He's a new dad of three himself. So I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. Sal, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. I was just telling you, I'm very excited to pick your brain. Um, I have been listening to your podcast um, and, you know, just seen a lot of your work. And this is, you know, a good day for me. Let's say that. So awesome. um, I'd love just for you to tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and also about your book, the resistance training revolution and how you came to writing it. Okay. Um, well, I've been in the fitness industry as a professional for, uh, over two decades now. So I started out as a personal trainer. I managed health clubs. Uh, I owned at one point a, a studio that was like a, a wellness studio and we had personal training and massage therapy, acupuncture, we had hormone testing, gut testing. And, um, you know, my goal has been always this whole time to help people improve their health and their fitness in ways that are sustainable and real ways uh, that people can maintain long term and forever, really help people create a good relationship with exercise uh, and with nutrition. This is something I think that we ch- we're, we're challenged with in the space uh, quite a bit. Uh, about seven years ago, I started the Mind Pump podcast with uh, my three partners. It's to the, to date, it's one of the top uh, fitness and health podcasts in the world. Um, and our goal is the same as it was again, like when I was a trainer. And by the way, my co-hosts were all trainers for roughly the same period of time. We're really trying to reach the masses with the right information. And you know, being someone that's in fitness yourself, you know just how much bad stuff that's out there that comes from uh, the fitness industry or the diet industry or the weight loss industry. It's ab- absolutely terrible. And as a trainer, it was always challenging because I would have to constantly uh, overcome this negative uh, media and advertising and information that my clients would continue to bring. And it was just always this uphill battle. And I always thought to myself, you know, if there was only a, a some kind of media that was just as entertaining or just as effective, but that communicated the right stuff. Because the challenge is, how do I compete with the the person selling the diet pill that's promising that you lose 30 pounds in 30 days 
And here I am telling you, it's going to take you about a year. It's going to take these fundamental changes to your lifestyle. And it's going to be quite challenging. Like, how do I, how do I beat that? Um, and so that's been the challenge and that's the goal. And, and so far, I think we're doing pretty good. We've gotten pretty popular. I think we've gotten a lot of people to look at things a little differently. The book that I recently published, uh, The Resistance Training Revolution, really talks about a lot of this, but it mainly focuses on the stigma that surrounds the form of exercise that really is by far best suited to help with these chronic health issues that we're seeing in modern societies. You know, the the big one being obesity, right? We're we're in this obesity epidemic. Last time I, I checked, I think now we're almost at a majority of Americans uh, are in that category, which is, you know, it's quite frightening because obesity is closely connected to so many uh, chronic health issues, including heart disease, diabetes, uh, even osteoporosis, osteopenia, um, hormone issues and cancers. I mean, the, the list is actually quite endless. And us in the fitness industry, we actually have the solutions. We just haven't been presenting them right. And part of that solution is a form of exercise, which is strength training and resistance training, that the average person really doesn't consider. Uh, that hasn't been talked about the way that it should be talked about. It's actually quite stigmatized. I, I would say the average person, if they're told that they should exercise by their doctor, they're oftentimes not even recommended strength training or, recommend, or, or, or resistance training. So the goal of the book is to change that, to get people to understand, like, you know, here's the deal. If you choose only one form of exercise, and if you only work out a few days a week, this one by far will give you the best results, by far will give you the closest to what you're looking for. And in fact, other forms of exercise in comparison are are terribly ineffective. And so that's really the goal uh, with the whole thing. And there's, there's a lot more that goes into it, but that's pretty much the gist. Yeah. And honestly, Sal, I mean, I couldn't agree more, you know, obviously knowing the science behind it. And we're going to jump into the benefits of resistance training, but also just seeing it in myself, my clients, like it really can be life-changing for people and they don't need to be going on five mile runs every day. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, So let's, let's even just get into the benefits of resistance training that some people may be unfamiliar with. And I agree. I think people resistance training can either for some people be scary or they immediately think like meathead, right? right they immediately right. go to, well, I don't want to be like pumping weights in the gym. That's not me. Well, that, you know, resistance training could also be your own body weight. Like there's a lot of forms, um, but let's just flood people with the benefits. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So to, so to start with, uh, we need to define resistance training or strength training, right? Simply using resistance doesn't make something resistance training. Um, I could use dumbbells and barbells and machines, bands and body weight in ways that make it not resistance training in the way that we're talking about um, at all. So for the purpose of this conversation, when I refer to resistance training or strength training, I'm talking about using resistance in a specific and targeted way to build strength and build muscle. Okay, so that's the main thing. Now, the reason why nobody, even today, you know, no average person considers that one of the best forms of exercise for longevity, health, fat loss, and so on, is because we've been uh, told kind of this false paradigm around fitness. And it kind of goes something like this, right? So we talked about obesity, that's the big problem. And I think most people know that most people know that we're in this epidemic of obesity, and it just continues to grow. And so what we've been told, um, and there's truth in this, 
is that in order to lose weight, we have to take in less calories than we burn. So if we're burning this many calories, we have to take this many calories. And what that does is it creates an imbalance. Our body searches for those extra calories in other places. And of course, the goal is from our body fat, and then we lose weight. Now, this is a a law of, of physics. It's a law of thermodynamics. It's totally true. You have to create that energy imbalance. So, you know, take in less than you burn or burn more than you take in in order for weight loss to happen. So that's totally true. Now, here's the problem. The problem with that is when we look at that formula, when we look at that, uh, the plan around that or that equation, food in, calories in, calories out, the calories out portion When we look at exercise, we place almost all of the value on the calories that the exercise burns itself. Okay, so that's that's almost the entire value of the workout is, is, is what we've been told, right? So it's like, what form of exercise is the best? The one that burns the most calories because we need to create this energy imbalance. And it logically makes sense, but here's the problem with that. We're completely disregarding the biggest and most important factor around exercise, which is how it gets our bodies to adapt and change. And then what does that mean? Okay, what does it mean when my body gets better at running or swimming or yoga or strength training and resistance training? And then through those adaptations, what does that mean? What does that cause? We've ignored that completely. It's all been about the calorie burn. Now, here's why the first paradigm is totally wrong. First and foremost, the calories that you burn while you're active, number one, take a lot of work. Okay, so if I want to burn these extra calories, I have to do it manually. I got to work out. I got to get on the treadmill. I got to do all these uh, different forms of activity. And I have to do it all the time. The second I stop, that, that value that we were just talking about is totally disappeared. So that's number one. It's hard work. It's a lot of work. And there's nothing wrong with hard work, by the way, but we have to consider the context of modern life and the average person. Modern life, although very sedentary, is also very busy. And this is in my experience, the most we could possibly hope for with the average person who's not a fitness fanatic, the most we could hope for if we do a really good job is that they exercise about two or three days a week consistently. We're not going to get people working out six or seven days a week. It's just not going to happen. Getting people to exercise two or three days a week is challenging, let alone the six or seven day a week uh, you know, dream that we have. So it doesn't, it, it's hard work. Most people are only going to work out if they do work out consistently about two or three days a week. And it doesn't burn as many calories as you think. I know when we get on the treadmill and the treadmill tells us how many calories you burn, it sounds like a lot, but there's two things. Number one, the treadmill's lying to you. Those, those cardio manufacturers really do inflate those numbers. You're not burning 800 calories when you're doing an hour on the treadmill. You're burning maybe three or 400 calories if you're lucky. So It's not as much as you think. It's hard work. And then here's the most important part. How does my body adapt to this form of exercise? And then what does that mean? So we'll stick to the treadmill because I think the average person, I can safely say, when they're thinking about starting a form of exercise to lose weight or improve their health, most people think of some type of cardiovascular activity, right? They think, I'm going to run, or I'm going to cycle, or I'm going to swim, or I'm going to take a, a Zumba class or a spin class or something like that, right? Okay, so when you're, when you're exercising, the reason why it's challenging is because it's a stress on the body. So if I go for a run and I haven't run in years, 
you know, a block might be very challenging for him. It's very, very hard. But if I continue to practice, I start to be able to do two blocks, three blocks, a mile, two miles, and so on. I get better at it. What does that mean when I get better at it? My body is adapting so that it that insult is no longer a challenging stress on the body. It's trying to get better at whatever I'm trying to do. Now, cardiovascular activity, because it burns a lot of calories and because it requires very, very little strength, it actually does something quite predictably in people. It causes their metabolisms to start to slow down over time. My body actually learns to burn less calories because it's trying to become a more efficient cardiovascular machine. Um, so imagine if I had a artificially intelligent car. So I had a car that was really smart and could adapt itself to my driving, to my driving habits. And imagine if I drove this car for hours every single day, 30 miles an hour, right? That car would turn itself into a very efficient energy using machine. It would become a hybrid or a one cylinder engine or an electric engine because it's trying to conserve energy as it gets better at this particular thing. Well, your body does this as well when you do lots of cardiovascular activity. Studies support what I'm saying, by the way, 100%. In fact, when people do cardio plus diet, when that's the strategy, so let's say running or cycling or swimming plus diet, what we find is a weight loss that typically looks like 50% muscle, 50% body fat. Now, you're not burning the muscle. So I know people say, oh, it burns muscle. That's not what's happening. It's your body adapting, slowing its metabolism down, and becoming better at what you're asking it to do. This is why long-distance runners, for example, high-level long-distance runners, have very little muscle. They're skinny, very little muscle, very little body fat, not much anything at all, because their bodies have become quite efficient. So when you do that form of exercise, plus diet to lose weight, initially you lose weight, but then your body starts to adapt, and then it becomes very challenging. And then to continue to move forward with any kind of weight loss goals, you have to add even more cardio or cut your calories even more. This is very unsustainable. Over time, I may end up with weight loss. By the way, like I said earlier, half is fat, half is muscle. So let me just explain that for a second. You're the same body fat percentage you were before, you're just smaller. Okay, so if I lose 10 pounds, half is muscle, half is fat, I'm just a smaller, same flabbiness version of myself with now a slower metabolism. So then at the end of this process of losing weight for three months, five months, six months, most people drop off after about six months. Here I am, I've lost some weight, although my body composition hasn't changed much. I'm smaller, but I'm similar body fat percentage. But now I'm eating so little and I'm doing so much work. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I maintain this? Like, this doesn't feel very sustainable, especially when I live in uh, modern society where hyper palatable, easily accessible food is all around me. And then I find myself in a situation where I take a few days off or I go on a vacation and boom, 10 pounds comes on my body. And this is why, one of the reasons why we have such a high fail rate with weight loss. I think it's uh, last time I checked, it was over 85%. Uh, I, I would disagree. I would say it's probably closer to 90 something percent. Now, this metabolism slowdown that I'm talking about, it's well-documented, okay? So they've done studies on... Are you familiar with the show, The Biggest Loser? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm sure you hate it like all trainers do. <laughs> very, very hard to watch. Um, 
But here are people who lose tremendous amounts of weight through lots and lots and lots of vigorous activity, mostly cardio, even though you see them with weights, they're using weights in a way that's like cardio. Mm -hmm. They're restricting their calories. And what they find is the vast majority of them gain the weight back. And when they've tested their metabolisms at the, at the end of this journey, these people's bodies are burning like 1,700, 1,600, 1,500 or less calories a day. That's very, yeah. very hard uh, to maintain. There's also studies that have been done on modern hunter-gatherers. In fact, I, I actually quote one of the studies in my book. There's a, a tribe called the Hadza tribe. They're, they're modern hunter-gatherers in northern Tanzania. And scientists actually went down to study them to see how many calories they were burning on a daily basis. And they hypothesized that they'd probably be burning tremendous amounts of calories. Remember, they don't have uh, uh, you know, computers and TVs or even couches. They're constantly moving. The way that they hunt is they throw a spear, hits the animal, and then they run it down for miles until it gets tired. And this is probably how hunter-gatherers have always hunted. And they thought, geez, we're going to see these people burning tons and tons of calories. Well, at the end of the study, what they found was actually quite remarkable. They didn't burn that many more calories than the average couch potato in you know, Western society. And at first, they thought maybe they made a mistake. But then they realized that evolutionarily speaking, this makes perfect sense. Your, it, would, it would not make sense for us to burn 8,000 calories a day being hunter-gatherers because it would be impossible to find that many calories uh, in, in the wild, we would have died. So our bodies really start to adapt to that type of activity. And it's the most ill-suited form of exercise when it comes to weight loss. Uh, and when you consider, again, people, most people will work out about two or three days a week. Now, on the other end, we have strength training or resistance training. Now, on its face, it doesn't burn nearly as many calories as cardiovascular activity per time being spent. However, through the adaptations that strength training elicits in the body, because the primary adaptation is to get better at lifting things, so your body gets stronger and builds muscle, you actually get the reverse. You get a faster metabolism through that form of exercise. And when we look at studies that use resistance training with diet, what we see is little to no muscle loss. And in some cases, in many cases, muscle gain with fat loss. So now here you are losing body fat, gaining a little bit of muscle, which real quick, muscle's very dense. So uh, for people listening right now- Scale goes up sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> totally. So if I were to, if everybody watching right now were able to lose 10 pounds of body fat and gain 10 pounds of muscle- everybody would be much smaller, right? So muscles very dense. You would feel smaller and tighter, right? But through that process, now you've lost body fat, preserved or gained muscle, usually gained muscle, and you're now eating more than you did at the beginning. So you're actually dieting and getting leaner and working out, but now finding that you eat more to support the new lean body mass and more. And at the end of this process, you're sitting there going, wow, I'm eating as much or more than I did before, and I'm leaner. Uh, now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see how, how much more sustainable that is. And then we talked about the, you know, the two or three days a week of, of exercise. Here's the truth with resistance training. And, and this is my specialty. I've trained people, again, for two decades. The average person will get all the results they want for a long time with two or three days a week of resistance training. 
the vast majority of people don't need to do any more than that at all, unless you want to reach some extreme level of muscularity or fitness, but also uh, very challenging either way. So it's the perfect, most well-suited form of exercise for what people are actually looking for. It's just been totally stigmatized and, uh, and we can go into, you know, some of that as well, if you'd like. And so I'm curious, Al, for those two to three days, would you recommend that people are doing like an hour of resistance training those two or three days or what, what would you recommend? No, I mean, uh, you know, when you get up to an hour of appropriate resistance training, two or three days a week, you're actually pretty advanced, uh, for the average person. Uh, no joke. This is true. Most people, 30 to 45 minutes is plenty. 30 is probably enough. And there's there's more that goes to this. Um, one thing, and this is a big one, is, and this actually came to me years ago uh, when I was up hiking in the hills here in California uh, by my home. I was going on a hike and I was, every once in a while, a runner would pass me by. And, you know, you're a trainer too. And so I'm sure you can relate. It's very hard not to look at people's biomechanics when they're doing things, right? So as people are running by, I'm like, oh, man, that guy's feet are really pronating. Or, oh, wow, that's a really strong anterior pelvic till. Or, you know, in in layman's terms, I just see how these people are going to hurt themselves because they're not moving. They're not running very uh, effectively or efficiently. And then out of nowhere, a gentleman runs by me, and he is gliding by. I mean, he looks like he's floating. And he had just perfect biomechanics. And then it dawned on me why that's so rare. The reason why that's so rare is that people don't view exercise as a skill. They view it as a way to get sore, as a way to sweat, as a way to you know work out, right? Yeah. This is what I talk about in the book as well. When you're going to the gym or you're working out at home, and again, resistance training can be performed with traditional weights or machines or resistance bands or just body weight. All of them can be quite effective. When people go to work out, if they just treated it like practicing a skill versus I'm going to go work out, they would get far better results, both in the short term and the long term. You know, if the average person thought to themselves, okay, today I'm supposed to exercise, I'm going to practice squats, lunges, I'm going to practice uh, an overhead press and a plank, for example, with the idea of getting better at that skill getting better with the form, right? Because that'll naturally balance out the intensity because if you go too hard, your form goes out the window. So just like if I'm playing basketball for the first time, I'm not going to throw free throws as hard as I possibly can because my technique is going to, it's going to suck if I don't throw it hard. If I throw it hard, it's going to be even worse, right? So practicing three days a week of resistance training or strength training, if people did it that way, 30 minutes, 40 minutes each time, oh man, they would get, uh, they would get phenomenal uh, results. And then as the body adapts, as the body starts to adapt to this form of exercise, you get this snowball fat loss effect. Metabolism starts to kick up. Mm-hmm. You start to feel stronger. Things feel tighter. Next thing you know, and I, I would get this with clients all the time, after about six months or so of training, they would come to me and they'd say, this is really weird. It would always start off this way. They'd say, okay, Sal, this is really weird, but I'm eating a lot. And I'm getting leaner. Like, you know, what is going on here? This is very, very strange. Or people would say, 
I went on vacation last week and we ate, a, we were, there were, you know, all you can eat buffets and I drank by the pool and uh, I didn't gain any weight. Like I didn't gain any weight during that whole period of time. Like what's going on? I tell them your, your metabolism is, is, is sped up. It makes a big difference when you're dealing with a, uh, a faster metabolism. It's, it's quite the, the buffer in modern society. You know, if, if you have a metabolism that burns a lot of calories, you're going to get away with a lot more. In other words. Oh, completely. I mean, I am metabolism is probably my favorite thing to talk about. And I'm a huge proponent of it because it just gets you like, we all want like the lifelong change, right? We want like that lifelong lasting change and metabolism is how you get there. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, and it's, I mean, it's, it's discussed enough. I don't think in a way in like the most, the best way or the most appropriate way to teach people about it. But it is, it's all the things you were just talking about that you can have, which originally when we were talking about practicing more cardio, when you have, you know, that weekend away or a few days here and there where maybe your diet isn't at its best with cardio, a lot of the times you see that, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you're only practicing cardio because your metabolism is slowing and you can feel that when you get your metabolism to a place where it is running well for you and you can also still have the ability to make it faster, which you also need to feed it. And that's why all those people that are telling you like, Hey, I'm eating more and I'm getting leaner. What's going on? Well, Mm -hmm. you have to also feed your metabolism. So your body does need more food. And, and, you know, I can't stress enough to like honor that. Like if you are hungrier, when you start strength training, like eat, more like your body's asking for it, you know? Um, so then you also can build muscle appropriately from your strength training, but it's, if you can get your metabolism to a good place, it's like, I I mean, I've seen it with so many clients too. It's like this, it's this freedom. Totally. Um, it's just, it's liberating. You feel like you don't have to be always watching what you're eating or have food become, um, you know, we talk a lot about, about the mental side of it too, right? If right. food doesn't have to become this fear around it, or it is, I mean, I think the best way to put it is it's freeing. And I want to touch on, which like we talked about a little bit before, but one thing I still see with clients and it, it's very, it's frustrating, but I know it's probably going to always be there is the scale aspect. So like for me with clients, I don't even use a scale. If they would like to weigh themselves on their own, that's totally fine. And for some people, it's appropriate if like, depending on what we're doing. But a lot of the times I will say like, hey, especially if they're doing no resistance training or strength training, I want you to know the scale may not change, but we will get your body fat down. But because we're going to be building muscle and muscle weighs more than fat. And like you said, it's more dense there may not be a number and who knows, sometimes the scale may actually go up, but you are going to fit better in your clothes. Like you said, you're going to feel tighter, smaller, um, and just feel honestly better, but there's still that it's the mental block about the number on the scale. And so I'm curious with your clients, how do you handle that? Yeah. Well, okay. So, um, so a couple things, first off, you could cut your leg off and then get on the scale and it's, it, you're going to be lighter. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's not, obviously we don't just want to lose weight. We want to lose uh, body fat, right? Body fat takes up a lot of space. It's very fluffy. So it takes up a lot of space. 
Muscle gives us shape, curve, makes us firm, makes us feel good, burns a lot more calories. You know, back in the day when I would manage gyms, I used to have this, I used to do this thing that was very effective. So one of my jobs as a gym owner or gym manager was obviously to get people to sign up to, 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 you know, to my gym or to hire a personal trainer. Like, and so, and I was a trainer myself, so I would always educate people on these things. Well, I used to have this uh, female trainer that worked for me that I used to use the love. I used to love to use as an example for these potential members. So I take a person through and this typically happened with women and I'd show them around and they'd say, Oh, I just want to do the, the classes or I just want to do the cardio because my goal is weight loss. And we'd walk around and then I talk about the benefits of the weights and the machines. And then they'd say something like, Oh no, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to get big. I'm not trying to get bulky. <laughs> I don't want to bulk wanna up. Weight. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just want to lose weight. I'd say no problem. Then we would go in my office, we'd sit down and I'd say, I tell you what, I'm going to call in one of my female trainers if you can guess within 10 pounds of her body weight, I'll give you a membership for free for a month. And I'd make a deal with them. And they'd all say, usually they'd be like, I'll take that deal, right? So then I would page my trainer, you know, attention so-and-so, come to Sal's office, and would walk in this female trainer. She's about 5'2", very sculpted, very tight, the kind of body that most people would aspire to have, right? So she'd come in and I'd say, okay, how much do you think she weighs? Remember, if you get close enough, you'll get a free membership. And they would say, oh, she looks like she's 105 pounds or 110 pounds. Then I'd have my trainer stand on the scale and she was 135 pounds or 140 pounds. And their minds would be blown. In fact, sometimes they'd be like, that scale's wrong. And then I'd say, no, it doesn't. Weigh yourself. And I'd show them. They'd be like, how is this possible? I'd say, well, she's lean. She's got very low body fat percentage but she has a lot of muscle because she does a lot of strength training. And then I'd say, here's the best part. And then I would ask my trainer, what did you eat for breakfast? And she would say something like, oh, I had a four egg omelet, three strips of bacon and a small bowl of oatmeal. I'd say, okay, well, what did you have for lunch? Oh, I had a burrito from, you know, from Chipotle. And I'd say, she eats a lot, doesn't she? And they'd say, well, yeah. I'd say, well, she burns it. She burns it not because she's burning it manually, she burns it because that muscle you see on her body that makes her look so good is very metabolically active. And so she can eat that way. And inevitably, at that point, they would say, okay, I want to give this uh, a shot. I think I like this. And of course, when they do it, they, were, they would become converts because of how effective it is. You know, we were talking about metabolism earlier. And, you know, I, I think it's important to let people know just how complex the metabolism is, right? So, it's probably the second most complex thing that we've identified in the universe, right? M mammalian metabolism is very complex. Now we say add muscle, it speeds up your metabolism. This is true, but there's a little more to that. There's also this range of calories that your body will burn with the same lean body mass. And there's signals and things that will tell it to be more efficient and burn less calories with the same lean body mass or to burn less, more calories, be less efficient with the same lean body mass. One of them is how you feed yourself. If I starve myself all the time, even if I don't lose muscle, my body will actually start to burn less calories. If I feed my body, it actually will become less efficient with calories. This is a, uh, a, an evolutionary adaptation. But there's more, right? Your hormones make a huge difference. If I took a person and I, they did nothing. They did nothing. They didn't change anything about their lifestyle. 
and we gave them growth hormone and manipulated their estrogen and progesterone, or if it was a man, gave them testosterone, we would actually see them become leaner and gain a little bit of muscle, okay? Hormones also drive what our metabolism, I guess, decides to do with calories. Does this go to muscle? Does this go to body fat? Um, and or do I become more or less efficient? Do I burn it, turn it into heat, or do I try to store it? Now, why am I saying this? Only one form of exercise has been shown to consistently uh, encourage youthful levels of hormones in men and in women. Now, to be fair, improving your health will generally do this, okay? But only one form of exercise almost always does this when it's applied appropriately, and that's resistance training. In men, it very consistently raises testosterone, very consistently. So even if your testosterone is high, you'll notice a little bump in testosterone, especially if it's low. We also see an increase in what are called uh, androgen receptors or androgen receptor density. These are the, the locks that the, the hormone key attaches to, that testosterone attaches to. The more androgen receptors you have, the more your testosterone does its work. And in, in, in men and in women, testosterone is really important for libido, confidence, strength, uh, and muscle, okay? So we see that consistently with resistance training. In women, we see quite consistency, quite consistently a balance of estrogen and progesterone. In both men and women, this one's a big one now because the implications of this are huge. We see insulin resistance decrease or insulin sensitivity improve very consistently. In fact, in obese people, severely obese people who don't lose any weight, if they just gain a little bit of muscle, we see improvements in insulin sensitivity. This is because muscle is very insulin sensitive. It also aids in the storage of processed carbohydrates or sugars, right? Glycogen. So your liver stores glycogen, but your muscles also store some glycogen. And if your muscles are a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, you have a greater capacity to do so, and you have improved insulin sensitivity. Uh, growth hormone, resistance training quite reliably causes this nice rise in the, you know, what they call the, the youth hormone, growth hormone. Now, other forms of exercise have not been able to show this on a consistent basis, and in some cases have been shown to do the opposite. Excessive cardiovascular activity causes spikes in cortisol, and men show, I uh, just actually just read a study, it was sent to me by a cardiologist, has been shown to lower testosterone in men. Um, in women, oftentimes you'll see this imbalance between the, you know, the two most important, I guess, female hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Now you might want to wonder why. Why is it that strength training or resistance training produces these youthful hormone levels or promotes? And why is it that other forms of exercise don't necessarily do this and in some cases may do the opposite? It's because resistance training of all the forms of exercise is the only form of exercise that is pro-tissue, okay? Pro-tissue. Other forms of exercise are tend to be either neutral or anti-tissue. So what do I mean by that? If I do lots of cardio, like I said earlier, when the, when the studies show cardio plus diet causes half the weight to be lost in muscle, that's an anti-tissue form of exercise. In order to get better at this, I need more endurance, I need less strength, and I want to get more efficient with calories, my body starts to get rid of muscle. It starts to pare it down. Resistance training 
is trying to get you to increase muscle. Now think of the hormones that are responsible for building muscle and think of the hormones that are responsible for reducing muscle. So if you took someone and let's say you were a scientist and it was, and the goal was get this person to lose muscle simply by manipulating the hormones, what would you do if it was a man? I would reduce their testosterone. I would increase their cortisol, right? If it was a woman, I would take their estrogen and progesterone ratios and I would throw them off. I would increase her cortisol. I would lower her, her testosterone. I would make sure that growth hormone was also blunted. What if I wanted to build muscle? I would do the opposite. So the direct effect of telling your body to build muscle is that your body says, okay, we need to build muscle. We need these hormones. We need these hormones because these, the these are the ones that drive that adaptation. So for those youthful levels of hormones, which also positively affect your metabolism, in very, very profound ways, resistance training is a direct signal uh, that makes that happen. And again, the research now, especially on testosterone, but now finding it with the other hormones uh, is pretty remarkable. You know, with the insulin sensitivity, that one is, is a huge one. Um, like I said, obese people now, they've even seen that. And there was a study that came out of Sydney, Australia, where they were looking at uh, Alzheimer's. And they wanted to see the impact of strength training and resistance training on Alzheimer's. To date, it's the only form of exercise that has been shown in studies to stop the progression of the amyloid plaques, the things that we, that we believe cause Alzheimer's. It actually stopped it in the studies. The researchers at the end were like, this is remarkable. We've never seen this uh, before. Probably due to the insulin sensitizing effects because, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia, some researchers were referred to as type three diabetes, right? The inability of the body to kind of utilize, uh, you know, glucose and, and whatnot. So very, very remarkable um, stuff. And the sad part is that strength training and resistance training is so stigmatized and there's so many incorrect and inaccurate stereotypes around it that people just aren't doing it, especially women. It's like, that's the last form of exercise that they consider when it should be the first. I completely agree. And I want to touch on too, Sal, if people are, because, you know, you touched on it a bit, but just if people are wondering, like with insulin sensitivity and also kind of where, so basically anytime you take in carbohydrates, you're they're going to be stored right in your body. And so like Sal said, a, you know, a little bit goes to your liver first, then we're going to your muscles and depending on how much, how big your muscles are and really like how much room they have some stored there. And then the next place is fat storage. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why it's so important to make sure you're getting in, you know, resistance training and muscle building activities because it allows for, and that's why, you know, Sal, when you're talking about your trainer and she's like, oh, I ate a burrito. And then, yeah. I, you know, I'm eating like I have my full breakfast with a bowl of oatmeal. She had a lot of room in her muscles, right? To store those carbs, which then you then use them during your training session and just throughout, you know, your daily activities and movement. But that's a huge key to all of this because it is, it, I mean, insulin if you get to a point where you're insulin resistant or just your blood sugar control, right? If your blood sugars are out of whack, 
I mean, it leads to, it leads to inflammation. It leads like there's, it, there's so many things that come from it. And also if people are listening, they are concerned about, you know, weight retention, weight gain, that's right along in there too. It is. And in, in the more sensitive you are to your insulin, uh, the better because your body will have to produce less of it. Cause th- mm-hmm. here's the problem with insulin resistance, right? Is that your body produces so much, it doesn't get the job done. So now it need, needs to produce more, right? And then eventually that doesn't get the job done. And then it produces more. And then of course, down the line, it turns into uh, type two diabetes. But even before it turns into type two diabetes, you're dealing with this kind of dysfunctional insulin uh, response. Now you mentioned the the muscle's ability to store glycogen, which is part of it, but also uh, muscle is just a very insulin sensitive tissue. So whenever your body produces insulin, tissues in your body receive the signal and uh, basically report this insulin being uh, released, right? When you have healthy, strong muscle, you don't need much insulin. Your body, your muscles are like, we got the insulin. Here we go. This is what we're going to do, right? So, and again, this is why you could take someone who's a hundred pounds overweight. They could lose no body fat whatsoever, have them gain four pounds of muscle. And you see an improvement in insulin sensitivity far more than if they were doing cardio on a regular basis. It's, it's, it's extremely remarkable. In fact, now you're starting to see now that they're making this now a recommendation uh, for people who are, you know, borderline type two diabetes, which by the way, you know, it's funny, whenever I say this, I remember, you know, I'm old enough to remember when I got my first certification, you know what they called type two diabetes when I first got certified? I'm so curious. (laughs) Adult onset diabetes. They changed the name because kids started getting it. So it used to be called adult onset. And because you got it as an adult, because over time you had to do a certain, you know, certain lifestyle to get it. It's type, it became type two because now we're seeing kids do it. Um, so it's really a big deal. And it's our, our poor health is due to the fact that largely part of it is this, the fact that we're consuming way more energy than we're burning. But the root of that is that we've become weak, that we've lost our strength and our muscle. And this isn't just me speculating, Okay. They actually have studies where like they did, they did a study, I think it was three years ago where they, uh, college, they went to college, uh, males and they had them do a grip test just to, to test the strength of their grip. And the men, it was a few years ago, I believe the men that got tested a few years ago had the same grip strength that 60 year olds had in the 1980s. Okay. So this is how much strength, uh, and muscle that we've lost. Uh, children are now getting, going to the doctor because of neck pain and back pain, which is not because they're overworking themselves or hurting themselves doing things. It's because they're weak and their body's starting to shape uh, because they're on their phones or computers. They're not, they're not, you know, here's the thing about muscle because it's such a expensive tissue for your body. Your body will only ever have as much muscle as it thinks it needs. But if it doesn't think it needs muscle, it gets rid of it because it costs a lot of energy, costs a lot of calories. And remember, we evolved uh, for the most part, for most of human history, where calories were very hard to come by. So our bodies became very good at being efficient with calories. Otherwise, like I said, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. By the way, here's your evidence, okay? 
if you've ever had a broken arm or leg that's been in a cast for a month, I mean, it, it always scares people to take the cast off because it's like no muscle. It's completely gone, right? That's how fast your body wants to get rid of muscle. It, it, if it doesn't need it, it gets rid of it. Now, on the flip side, if that's ever happened to you and you've gotten this really skinny leg because you, you wore a cast and then you start walking again, that muscle comes back really fast, right? Really fast. Here's something that's cool. And this is a great selling point. It's also very true. Although there are there is no such thing as permanent fitness results, right? So whatever you do to get in shape, you have to do to stay in shape, okay? If we were to categorize exercise in terms of long-lasting results and, you know, for lack of a better term, permanent results doesn't exist, but if we were to categorize exercises uh, forms in that, we would find that resistance training would be superior because of the well-studied and well-documented phenomenon known as muscle memory. When you build muscle, not only do you make the muscle fibers bigger, but you actually increase the amount of what are called satellite cells within muscle, which these are like these cells that tell the body what to do and can turn into new muscle fibers and build more muscle. When you lose muscle, you don't lose those satellite cells. So what does that mean? If it takes you a year to build eight pounds of lean muscle, which by the way is a lot of muscle to gain in a single year, but if it takes you a year to gain that, and then you stop working out for two months and lose it all, and then decide you want to start working out again, you'll gain those eight pounds back in about a month, a month and a half, okay? So it took you a year to gain it the first time. You lose it the second time around, so much faster. This is called muscle memory. It's very, very, very well documented. It's not me just speculating. And now what's the beauty of that? Well, the average person is probably not going to work out consistently all the time. They might take a month off. They might take a week off. Well, here's the beauty of that. It comes back, muscle comes back real fast. Those metabolism boosting effects come back real fast and they don't go away quite as quickly. Now, I know I use the example of the being in a cast, but let's say you stop working out with resistance for a week or two. You're not going to notice this huge decline in your metabolism like you might if you mm -hmm. stop running all of a sudden, stop you know, burning uh, all these calories. So it's great. And by the way, there was a study actually that came out recently, so which was a big one, where they, they took two groups of people, one group worked out for three weeks and then would take a week off and then repeat three weeks on, one week off. The other group worked out every single week consistently. And I believe it was a 16-week or 24-week study. At the end of the study, both groups had very similar strength and muscle gains. So even though one group took a week off every, for, you know, every fourth week was off, and they did notice some strength decreases in that week that was off. When they came back, the muscle memory kicked in and they caught up very, very quickly. I mean, that's good. If you're, the, if you're watching this or listening to this and you're like, look, I, you know, I can be kind of consistent, but I do miss stuff sometimes. And, you know, I got kids and I'm busy and like, that's good news. Like, that's great news. Like you can do resistance training two or three days a week and miss a week here or there. And you're going to be okay. You can't really do that with other forms of exercise. No. And Sal, how important is that too, that as we get older, and I feel like, especially for women too, like we lose muscle mass, right? And so it's important to have that muscle memory consistently. And that's not to say too, if you're older and you haven't been doing strength training, don't start, start. Right. Yes. But that's a big factor too. I mean, I know so many women that have had so many health issues just from lack of muscle 
because they weren't strength training just normally, which, you know, also to a lot of generations, it wasn't normal to do strength training or resistance training, but now they're in a position where they don't have that muscle memory and they're trying, you know, now they're starting to, but it can be really debilitating when you don't have that. Oh, I'll tell you what, you're talking about aging population. Um, that was my specialty for, I'd say the back half of my personal training career. I trained a lot of people in advanced age, especially that population. If you look at the issues that plague that population, we talked about Alzheimer's and dementia. Okay. So resistance training to date, most effective form of exercise. Look at mobility, look at osteopenia, osteoporosis. You know, this, here's a big issue that a lot of people don't realize. And I remember when I used to train a lot of doctors and uh, when I heard this from them, I, I was like, wow, that's crazy. There's a saying in medicine where they'll say something like you break your hip and then you die of pneumonia. Right? So if you're seven and maybe this has happened to a loved one, right? They're older, they're losing their mobility, they lose their balance. By the way, loss of balance oftentimes is very strongly connected to loss of strength. You lose your stability and your strength. Now your balance starts to go south. You fall down, you break something, and then you notice this dramatic decline in health. Okay, dramatic decline. I've seen this firsthand. It happens with, uh, all the time. <laughs> very scary, right? Building muscle and being stronger. Oh boy, there's nothing that'll protect you better. When we're talking about bone loss, no form of exercise reliably reverses osteopenia and builds bone. Building muscle and building bone are the same thing, by the way. If I go and I, I work out, muscle anchors on bone. I strengthen my bone just like I strengthen my muscle. I also strengthen my tendons, my ligaments, all the stuff that supports uh, that, all, that whole structure. I start to strengthen. In fact, years ago, I had a client who, uh, she was a very petite woman. She was in her 60s and very healthy. She ate very good. She walked every single day, but she was having bone loss, got osteopenia, started to get close to osteoporosis. Doctor put her on Fosamax, which is a, a very strong uh, osteoporosis medication. Um, but you, you take that and you're, you're, you're knocked out for a day or two because it affects the immune system and whatnot. And it just nothing was really working. She was still declining. And uh, one of her friends recommended that she come see me. So we started working out together. And I trained her once a week. She'd never worked out before. So once a week was appropriate. And we did traditional exercises. I mean, at first I had her sit down and stand up. That was, you know, one of her exercises. And, you know, eventually I got to the point where she could squat holding a little weight. We could do, you know, really light dumbbell deadlifts and so on. But after about six months, she went and got a, uh, a bone mass test, right? Mm -hmm. Her doctor was so... First of all, he ordered a second test. He thought there was a mistake. Then he was so blown away by what he saw. He called me and they actually made a case study out of her because he, he couldn't believe what he saw. He goes, he, he says, what are you doing? This, is, this doesn't make any sense. And I said, all we're doing is we're, I'm doing all the things I can to get her stronger. So I've increased her protein intake. We're feeding her body. I'm having her lift weights. Um, and so she's built some muscle. So she's predictably built some, some bone. And, um, I mean, like I said, he was, he was totally blown away. The studies all support this too. Right. And that's uh, from once, once a week, Sal, right. I mean, that's I'm telling just you working with her once a week. Yeah. Yes. The, again, when you're, when you're doing resistance training, all you have to do is send the signal for your body to build mm -hmm. that strength and muscle. You actually build the muscle and strength on the days you don't work out. So it's not even why you're doing it. It happens on those days off, but yeah, it was once a week. 
I rarely trained anybody more than twice a week uh, in my career. Three days a week was reserved for my super advanced, like very fitness oriented clients. And there's so you there's so much you could do with that, right? People often think like, oh, two days a week is two days a week. No, no, no. There's exercises that are more advanced. You can add more resistance. You can increase the intensity. Before you add an extra day of exercise, there's so much you could do with those two uh, days a week. That's why in the book, I, I actually recommend two days a week. I also know I'm talking to the average person whose goals really are just to improve fitness, lose some body fat, yeah. improve their mobility. Like uh, more than that really uh, isn't necessary, especially if it's applied uh, properly and appropriately. And I'm curious to that average person that let's say they're in like time saving mode. I know you not too long ago had your third um, child and it's, you know, there are times in our life where like, we're not getting to the gym or what's like an easy thing that people can do at home each day. That's short on time that will just start to like build their muscle, build that muscle memory. Oh gosh. Um, any, any type of exercise that, that you could use to build strength will work. So, uh, depending on your fitness level, let's say you're very deconditioned, you could take a chair and you could sit down and stand up without using your hands. And you could practice that and really get good at your form and technique. Keep your feet flat, sit back, keep your core tight, make sure your knees aren't going in and out and keep your, your, your tempo slow and controlled. Like that's a, phenomenal exercise, right? You could do a push-up, but I know people watching are like, oh, I can't even do a push-up. No, no, there's a million and one different ways to do a push-up. I could lean up against the table. So I'm like this, right? So I'm not way on the floor. I'm like this. And I could, same thing, bring myself down real controlled, bring myself up real controlled. And again, practice the exercise. You could practice lifting something overhead, or if you're deconditioned, oftentimes a lot of people can't even fully extend their arm overhead. Well, there's your practice. Sit nice and tall, brace your core. See if you could straighten your arm up, up, up above your head and then bring it back down and practice uh, this movement. I put exercises and uh, how many repetitions and whatnot to aim for in the book. I do give people three workouts that one of them is just using your body weight, maybe some resistance bands. Another one uses dumbbells. And then another one allows you to use barbells uh, and dumbbells. And those are all pretty appropriate, I would say, uh, for most people. But, you know, the beauty of part of the beauty of strength training, resistance training is it's the most customizable form of exercise that exists. I mean, if you go get rehab, they do resistance training with you, right? I could train someone who's tall with resistance training, someone who's short, somebody who's got uh, spinal injury, someone who doesn't have the use of their legs. Uh, it doesn't matter. So long as I'm using resistance in a way to build strength, we're doing uh, resistance training. And I can move in any direction. I can, you know, move in, you know, the frontal plane, the sagittal plane. I can twist. Uh, it's extremely customizable. It works for anybody. Of course, it must be applied appropriately. And I do want to say this, and this is a mistake I think a lot of people make with exercise, is they've taken the no pain, no gain mantra way too uh, literally. If you want to get your body to improve or to adapt, really all you have to do is more than what your body's used to, okay? So 
if your body's used to sitting at your desk all day and not doing much activity, you know, doing six squats is probably going to get your body to get a little stronger. Okay. Um, soreness, getting sore. Most people think this is a good sign. It's not a good sign. Oftentimes, soreness means you might have gone too hard. The way you should feel after your workout is like this. You should feel like you have more energy at the end of your workout. You should feel like you can move better at the end of your workout. You should feel, again, you should end your workout and feel like, oh, man, I'm energized. You should not feel like you got your butt kicked. I know as, as, as uh, you know, glamorous as that is and how much that gets advertised, you should not feel like you, you just got out of a battle. You should literally feel better. You know, if you think to yourself, ooh, you know, I'm, I'm a little tired. I think I'm going to take today off. No, that's because you're probably working out too hard. You should say, you know, I'm a little tired. I think I'm going to work out and then because I know I'll feel better at the end of it. So aim for that, right? Aim for that. I should feel better. I should feel more energized. I should feel mobile, more mobile immediately after my workout. That's how I should feel. Yeah, no, Sal, that actually leads perfectly into my final question for you. If if anyone listening, is there a threshold or a certain amount of time that you feel like people are overdoing it with resistance training where it's putting right, like that too much stress on the body, um, where they shouldn't be going to the gym, you know, six or seven days a week, but what are your right. thoughts on that? Yeah. So there's a few things you can look at. Um, if you're not feeling more energized, healthier, and better from your workouts, if you start to feel worse, if you start to notice, uh, you can't sleep as well. Yeah. If you start to notice cold and, and hot, uh, or heat intolerance. So like you notice like, oh man, I'm really cold or I'm really hot. I, I can't tolerate this. You're probably going too hard. Here's an easy one. Um, if you're sore and your soreness lasts longer than a day, you, you went too hard. So you shouldn't be sore. Yeah. Literally, you should not feel sore. Maybe a tiny bit like, oh, I think I worked out. Like, okay, I can kind of tell, but that's about it. But if, at the, if the day after your workout or two days after your workout, you're like, oh my gosh, I can barely walk. My legs are so sore. You went way too hard. You went yeah. way, way, way too hard. And you should I noticed, always feel better. Yeah. I noticed that too, which I know we, you know, we don't have time to get into it, but um, if you don't feel properly afterwards yeah. as well, like I'll notice like if, I don't know if something I had to rush to somewhere after and wasn't able to eat for a while or something, I'm way more sore <laughs> the next <laughs> couple of days. So like that plays a big factor in too, but um, oh my gosh, I've, I mean, I have so many more questions, but, um, we love to end every episode style with just a really quick, uh, rapid fire Q and a. So first thing that comes to mind so people can get to know you a little bit more, but what's your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Uh, two of them. Uh, one is exercise. It's a mm -hmm. meditation for me. And then the other one is being with my kids. Love it. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Do you put anything in it or are you straight black? You know, I, it's funny too, because coffee, I have a bit of an intolerance to, which kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> I, think, but, I think we all do. <laughs> uh, you, you're probably right. Uh, I like, um, nitro cold brew with nothing in it. Mm. Oh boy. Is that good? Yeah. That is real good. Um, and favorite home cooked meal. Um, you know, these days it's a, it's, it's a good grass fed steak with some asparagus. 
Yeah, that sounds delicious and like perfect for summer. Um, well, Sal, where can people connect with you, get your book and just, you know, learn more, especially if, you know, we've some people listening to that are just starting out with resistance training or, um, want to learn more. Yeah. So you can find me on my podcast. So it's mind pump is the name of it. You can find us anywhere. The book is the resistance training revolution. You can find it anywhere books are sold, uh, or you can go to the resistance training revolution.com. And then if you want to find me personally, you can find me on Instagram at mindpumpsal. One warning, I do post uh, memes, comedic memes, and they're not always politically correct or uh, should I say not offensive. So if you, <laughs> I know we're, we're, we're speaking quite a bit about uh, fitness information here, but I do have a dark sense of humor. So if that's not your thing, probably don't want to find me on Instagram. <laughs> love the, love the warning. Well, thank you so much, Sal. This has been awesome. Um, like I said, I mean, I could pick your brain all day, but, um, I'm really glad that our listeners were able to get a deep dive into resistance training and we were able to talk about metabolism and just thank you so much for your time. Remember, incorporating at least two days of resistance training in your week can help you see results. Aim for 20 to 30 minutes each time and remember your body weight is enough for resistance training. So there are no excuses if you don't have weights or can't make it to the gym. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on the podcast. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.